As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Oh, look who spelled season wrong. Who did that? We wanted to sound like a fancy beer. It's a saison. Yeah, saison. Saison cat. No, no, no more abuse of the French language. Bienvenue au saison cat episode cinq. Yes. I'll thank. This is a more than just podcast production. Yeah, welcome to Spotcast, Season 4, Episode 25. My name is Tim Mitchell. I'm in Toronto, Ontario, and I'll be joined once again by Jonathan Kuline, Jr. in... Where are you? Not in Seattle. You're in uh, Mississauga, Ontario. <laughs> How's it going? <laughs> and we're also joined by Hamilipus, Jr. in Seattle, Washington, back from Texas, I guess. How's it going? Were you in Texas? I was in Texas. I'm not now. Right. Back in, in Seattle. All righty. Wintry Seattle. Winter, yeah, yeah, it's snowing here actually today too. Just little little flakes of snow. Anywho, um, some fact check first of all. Um, I was talking about Melanie who sings a brand new pair of roller skates. Uh, so, oh, Melanie, sorry, is the person who sings brand new pair of roller skates, and I've got a link here to that. But did we not talk about that last week? Yeah, we didn't have her name because uh, you were, oh, we're, no, trying, no. we're talking about uh, um, Maria Muldor and then Maria Muldor, yeah, yeah, Diana Muldor. No, not Diana, Diana Muldor. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. yeah. <laughs> Back down the rabbit hole. I wonder if Maria Mulder's ever been on Star Trek. Uh, I doubt it. But, you know, uh, there you go. And then Xavier asked, how many Star Treks are there? So I took it upon myself to go look. And um, what was I? Oh, I was, on, I was uh, watching the center seat. And, of course, Gates McFadden rattled off the number. And, of course, it was pre-recorded. So they didn't have all the Prodigy stuff in there. Because they just said, and coming soon, Prodigy, kind of thing, right? Um, and we know we're already five episodes in or four episodes, depending on which way you look at it. Five to, or six today, right? Uh, so there are, I added them up. There have been 826 items that have aired or appeared in a theater at some point. There's 79, the original series uh, shows, 22 animated series, six original cast movies, four next generation movies, seven seasons of TNG, which is 176 episodes. 
seven seasons of DS9, which is 173 episodes. I don't know how they do their math. Uh, 160 epi- 168 episodes of Voy. Um, we had four seasons of Enterprise, which was 97 in um, 97 episodes. And then we had uh, four seasons of Disco so far. Uh, and that counts for 53. And I don't know if that counts the ones that we haven't seen yet. Because IMD, IMDb lists the ones that have been so- or inked or whatever. Um, I just said Discovery, right? Uh, two seasons of Picard so far. Only 10, 21 according to IMDb. But only 10 of them have aired. We've only had one season of Picard so far. And uh, we have two seasons of Lower Decks. We've seen 20, even though IMDb lists 30 of them. Uh, we had three Kelvin Timeline movies and 21 Prodigy, according to IMDb, but we've only seen five or six aired, depending on how you look at it. And, but then I also added we had 10 short treks, which wasn't, wasn't being counted for some reason. Um, qu- remind me again, why are we calling it the Kelvin Timeline? I know it's a different timeline, but why Kelvin? From the is it the USS Kelvin that yeah. Uh, oh yeah that crashes Thor, at the very Thor beginning? Kirk's dad was on yeah. yeah right oh okay right oh because yeah because that, that that's runs into the paradox the, yeah he runs into the the bad guy because his dad does die that way doesn't he or no I guess he doesn't die that way nope I thought I thought um, Kirk's dad died somehow okay oh I, I see yeah I thought he went that. down with the ship did he not go down with the ship well well the the wife gave birth to Kirk on an escape pod or something. That's, that's, that's what, what happens, happens in the movie. In the movie. Yeah. But I'm I trying to remember if that's what happens in the timeline because, you know. Yeah, I, I don't think so. I can't remember off the top of my head, but I seem to recall that not being the case. All right. Well, more fact check for more next More fact week. check, yeah. Bad Star Trek right. fans. Here we are. Yeah. Okay. And then I was talking last week about a Chinese sci-fi film. I couldn't remember the name of it. It's called The Silent Sea. And... Uh, Oh, and then this next point is uh, something else. And I, and I mentioned last week that 60 million people were watching I Love Lucy in, in the during the run of the show. I'm not sure exactly which one that is, but I looked it up. In 1962, the population of the United States was 192 million. So 60 million is roughly 30%, which is still a lot of people watching a TV show. Considering that, you know, a lot of people didn't even have TVs, right? So Yeah. Yeah, that's that's two modern day Canada's watching I Love Lucy. Oh yeah, definitely. Right? Well, Since yeah, I measure I measure things in Canada's <laughs> to make math easy. That's, right? that's US, a metric unit, though. Yeah, yeah. Uh, modern USA is you know roughly eleven Canada's to make it easy. <laughs> oh really? Wow. Hmm. Yeah, because we're three hundred and thirty million. So true. Oh wow, you are R- roughly right. I mean, it's probably slightly off that, but. Does anybody know? Is this fact check as well? How how big was Canada back in 1962 by comparison? I don't know. I'd have to go. I'd have to go back to that site and see if I can figure it out. Hang on a second. Oh, it's funny that. The, have the, you know, Jaime? We're up to 35 million. 35. Oh, I'm gonna have to adjust. You're gonna have to adjust for inflation. Google here says it was 18.61 million in 1962. Yeah, so it's on doubled Canada? since then. Wow. Yeah. We've been busy beavers. Well, we have a lot of immigration. That's true. That's true. Yeah. It's all the Timbits. They keep coming for the Timbits. Or, or the Tim Beebs, as the case may be. Yeah, well, it's funny. I, I did make, manage to get myself a, a box of Tim Beebs and put them up on the shelf. I, I mean, I ate them, but I put the box on the shelf. Yeah. <laughs> all right. And Jaime, you got something here on the fact check about a nanoprobe? Yeah, I don't know if you guys referenced this at all in previous episodes, because those are still queued up in my... Uh... My podcast what, list. Don't listen to our show religiously. What? <laughs> the, the queue got huge as I was sort of just stuck at home uh, or, or or stuck 
uh, from going out for a while. Um, but I think I had a joke, at least in our, our private messages, that uh, I was getting the Borg nanoprobes treatment. Um, so if folks oh, don't I remember see, what right. those are, <laughs> it's the monoclonal antibodies is what I was talking about. But uh, it, it sort of felt like the, the nanoprobes, especially the ones that were treating, if you remember Scorpion, parts one and two from Voyager, when Species 8472 has this weird infectious thing that causes problems and they end up using Borg modified nanoprobes to defeat the sort of like virulent nature of 8472 yeah, and turn it into a cool. weapon. All right. Cool. All right. Um, anyway, um, yeah, so in the headlines here, first one up is for me, we got 10 movies from Mashable that they can't wait to see. So let's, we just thought I'd talk about them real quick. Uh, the 10 movies are Scream. Apparently there's a new Scream. Is this a remake or do we know? Is it like a the never ending or... Scream film? Yeah. Yeah. Cause and what's her name? That's the woman that's in all of them. Oh, Nev Campbell. Canadian. Nev Campbell. Yeah. That's yeah. Right. So, Trailer yeah, makes it seem like it's a continuation. That's yeah. true. David Arquette's in it. Courtney Cox is in it. Yep. There you go. All right. Jackass forever. Like we need another Jackass movie. Forever. It's coming. Yeah. <laughs> Moonfall is a, a uh, sort of science fiction-y uh, It's a Roland thing. Emmerich disaster movie is what it is. Is that the in- Independence guy? Oh, yes. No. Yes, oh, yes. Okay. If it blows up good, Roland Emmerich's involved, and apparently this is the most Roland Emmerich of the Roland Emmerich movies. I thought he was... I thought that was Dean Devlin. Is that not... He's not Independence there, or is he the producer or director? Whatever. Yeah. Or it's probably Devlin. possible that somebody else is, yeah, in- involved, but man. Right. Okay, marry me. I'm not sure what that is. It looks like uh, is that um, J Lo? That is J Lo. Does look with, like J Lo with Owen Wilson. You guys didn't watch the trailers. I watched the trailers. So oh, man, um, there's a reason why I don't watch some trailers. You know. So <laughs> this one is a, rent, a romantic comedy where J Lo is a pop star who is gonna get married on stage to her longtime boyfriend or something in in you know some marry me song or something, right? Except the boyfriend cheats on her, so she no longer wants to get married to him. And Owen Wilson gets convinced as a normal civilian to go to this concert. And he has a little sign that says, marry me. And she's like, you, I'll marry you. And apparently they're going to get married. Like, that's the, okay. the sort of concept there. It it does look like delicious trash. <laughs> I might end up watching this <laughs> if it ends up on a streaming service. Because I watched this, I was like, this is... You know, um, if folks have heard, and it's kind of hard to describe this in an audio medium versus visual, but like people normally think of bad and good as being on a linear scale. They're actually on a circular scale, right? I think this is so <laughs> bad, it loops back around to good. Oh, yeah. I see. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, interesting. Number five, Uncharted, which we've talked about before on this show. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're both, Jonathan, are both fans of Uncharted. Have you played Uncharted, um, Jaime? I have, although I think... I'm going to have to go back and, and take a look and make absolutely sure. Cause there's been several uncharted and there's also been, um, man, I'm, I, I feel like I caught myself in one of the other episodes where I'd said, Oh yeah, I, it, it's this one where you can end the game really quick. And I think that's a different game. Oh, I'm going to have to look that up. Mm. Yeah. The, the, the scene in the trailer of the two ships, the two pilot ships in the cave is, is literally lifted right out of the game in, in, uh, yeah. in the first episode of that game. Yeah. Number six movie, The Batman. Meh. Starring, what's his name? I was going to say Gilfroy. Um, what was his name in uh, Robert Pattinson? Yeah, no, but in Harry Potter, he had a different name. 
Oh, uh, Cedric, Cedric Diggory. Diggory yeah. Cedric Diggory, yes, uh, Cedric Diggory, keeping the and then the unbearable weight of massive talent. No idea what that is. That's why you got to watch the trailer. So it it stars <laughs> Nicolas Cage as Nicolas Cage. Yeah. Oh, um, really? Okay. The and, most Nicolas Cage movie ever. Yeah, I, I watched that movie Pig the other day, just just for FYI, just to see what the fuss was about. Starring everybody's favorite actor, Nicolas Cage. Yeah. Number eight, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, which I thought we just watched in uh, Spider-Man. No, that was Spider-Man nope. and the Multiverse of Madness. Yeah. Oh, yeah. this is uh, the next one is called Nope. I, I didn't watch the trailer. Jaime, what's this one about? <laughs> <laughs> He's trolling here because in this article, all we have is an ominous poster showing a cloud floating over a village with what looks like a string of flags coming out of it, as the article describes. It's all we know. It's by uh, Jordan Peele. So, but that's why sure people are excited, right? Because after Get Out and Us, which were both smashes, oh yeah, I yeah. think everyone's looking to see what Jordan Peele, Peele comes up next to scare people's pants off. Right, right. And of course, number ten, Spider Man Across the Spider Verse Part One. Yeah, yeah. We'll what see how that one turns up when we go out, get to our Spocky Awards later on. Yeah, Into the Spider Verse was was the previous version. So yeah, I thought people were getting confused when I first watched the Spocky numbers come in, but. It seems I was incorrect. They seem to have found their, their sense of logic and stuff. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so over to Jonathan with this one. Good news about Ontario theaters. Yeah, well, maybe not. So luckily, over the holidays, uh, we were able to sneak in to see uh, Spider-Man, the uh, Spider-Man No Way Home film. Um, so... Tim and Xavier and I went to go see it. We were lucky enough to find a daytime screening with a whopping 10 people, including us, in the theater for 300 plus. So that felt safe enough that we we, we did do that. And, uh, and yeah, it was great. It was a great movie. We really enjoyed it. Um, and Tim managed to get out as well to see The Matrix and then The Matrix Resurrections. But... The opportunity to get out and see a movie here in Ontario has come to an end because the Omicron variant of COVID is going on so rapidly through this area that they have closed all concert venues, all movie theaters, uh, no more indoor dining, all kinds of restrictions in place. And uh, yeah, so if you didn't get a chance to see those movies in the theater, I think you are uh, SOL for the short term because it's uh, at least three weeks is what they're saying. It's probably more more likely well into February logically again that's obviously I'm not uh, I'm not working on the science board here but it seems very unlikely that you'll be able to get out and see those movies again whether or not that will uh, impact whether or not the same movies that are playing now will come back and be in the theaters uh, in the future so you can see them again I don't know if you're by the time the movie theaters come back if you're still gonna be able to see you know Spider-Man in a, on a big screen or if it's gonna be uh, moved on but yeah so bad news on that front but it is probably for the best given that the numbers here in Ontario in particular are particularly high. Uh, Jaime, I don't know if you know how things are doing in your jurisdiction if they've gone to that kind of move yet. Um, a lot of... Oh, it's so hard to, to think about it. The states... The, the states isn't a... The United States isn't a bad place, too. Um, we're not locking down like you all are. Um, that's not to say that we shouldn't also do similar things, but I'm not aware of anything there. There's still the fight at the federal level around um, vaccine mandate for um, 
companies that have employees of 100 people or more, mm. it looks like that probably will pass through uh, the judicial review. So companies are preparing for that. But it's, um, yeah, Omicron has, has caused some, um, you know, work meetings and I'm looking at conferences and stuff that are like already switching to virtual only for at least the first half of the year, it looks like. I think folks will uh, cross their fingers and hope for things in the latter half of the year. But uh, let's be honest, I don't think it's going to get that much better yeah. um, after the summer months. Yep. And uh, and your your very lucky uh, pass is finally expired, right? You so you were getting all the Warner Brothers movies through your HBO Max subscription. That was just for last year, right? It's does it doesn't carry over to this calendar year? As far as I know, I don't think Warner Brothers is doing anything uh, to continue that. And that actually makes me wonder if I should check my subscriptions. I I was busy with with Omicron. I have not looked to see when my HBO Max. Hold on, I'm checking on my phone real time here. When is that? You next mean you billing might have paid date for an extra is, month, or no? Next billing date is January 25th, so I need to go in and cancel HBO Max here. <laughs> <laughs> Not right now, right now. I'll double Lopez check. Lopez Factor Part One, or Calculus uh, Part Two. Because right? really, all there is is um, the the Peacemaker TV show, which you know yeah. I'm sure it'll be fun. I think I described it as like the most American looking thing ever. Where he has a, a literal bald eagle as his is a sidekick. I, I think I can wait <laughs> yeah. to binge something and, um, and watch that at the same time. Right. I don't, so I don't so you didn't know, you don't know why we called last episode, the, the Lopez calculus, right? No, I, I, <laughs> I have not listened to the past two episodes there in my, my queue. Um, so no, I don't. <laughs> is it all related to, uh, streaming services and, and how you calculate out what you're doing? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly yeah. what it is. Yeah. Yeah. HBO max is, is coming off the list here before January 25th. Yeah. All right. Yeah. And I'm, I've got a link here. Just, uh, we have, uh, we have our, uh, our famous premier of Ontario, um, gave a speech the other day about how he's, you know, really sorry that he has to close everything down. And he thought, you know, he, he's looked at it for like six hours and decided to make the decision. And, Brittle Star is a, a marketing dude here in in uh, Toronto. Does these really deadpan, sarcastic videos, and he he literally he does a like a double speak. Every sentence has two meanings in what he says, and he basically replays his interpretation of what Doug Ford said. And it's like you know, I may, I you know I spent all weekend and made a decision I probably should have made in December, you know, and so on and so forth. But he says it much better than, I, than that. So I'm going to put a link in the show notes for you for your entertainment pleasure. And, and for those uh, of our listeners who are American, a, a premier is a governor. Oh, true. Yes. Yeah, there you go. That's that's yeah. helpful. Yeah. As opposed to a prime minister. That's yeah, not pre- premier is the head official of our province. So same as a governor would be to a state. Right. All right. Next up, speaking of movie going, the uh, first movie casualty due to the Omicron surge has been Morbius, the Sony Pictures vampire flick set in the Spider-Verse, because it was supposed to be coming out in theaters in, on January 28th, obviously uh, in some jurisdictions movie theaters are closed and other ones people are reticent to go so it has been bumped from the 28th of january till april fool's day april 1st it's coming out uh i'm not sure how to feel about that particular timing but the yeah this is the first and uh I'll, i'll be really interested to see over the short term obviously there's um you know different calculations on when things are going to uh you know start waning as opposed to uh waxing so it'll be interesting 
interesting to see if any other movies have to get shoved out um, to make room for for the virus. But uh, for now, the first one that's going to get the shove is is Morbius. Not that I think, well, maybe, I don't want to speak for you guys, but I don't think that was on our go to the movie theater and see list. No, don't think so. That's yeah. the um, Tom Hardy one? Uh, no, Tom Hardy's the Venom, Venom one. This is the Jared Leto uh, one. And it'll be fair. The The trailer doesn't look bad. It looks like it's certainly a watchable movie. I just don't know that I would go to the theater to see it. I, I, I will probably watch it when it comes to uh, uh, an on-demand or a streaming service. Okay, cool. Next up, so we had mentioned that uh, Tim had gone to go see Matrix Resurrections. Did you watch that on your uh, subscription, Jaime? That was the final movie to watch on the HBO Max subscription. So, so you completed yeah, your game it. card? <laughs> completed the... Wait, did I literally watch everything? I have to take a look <laughs> back and see what they what they offered up. But at least the, you know, the, the marquee movie for each month I watched. Yeah. So Matrix Resurrections was, um, you know, people weren't sure, is this the start of a new thing? Are they going to do more? How's it going to go? So this week we got a little bit of information. So the, the producer uh, said this week that... He doesn't anticipate it coming back. Uh, James McTeague said he told Collider that there are no plans to develop any further movies. For us, I think at the moment, it's just the movie you've seen. We've got no prequel in mind. We've got no sequel in mind. We've got no further trilogy. So that's fairly definitive. And then uh, got a second story here where Keanu Reeves said pretty much the same thing uh, that he doesn't see. Um, you know, if I had to cast a ballot, no, not a ballot, a vote. I would say that Lana would not do another Matrix. Um, but yeah, so it doesn't sound like that is going to happen. So, are we waiting to see what George Lucas has to say about it, though? <laughs> yeah, who knows? Who knows? But yeah, I think it'll be. Um, Interesting to see how that plays out over the course of time, if there's going to be any more Matrix movies or if this was just sort of the last hurrah of the Matrix. I have not had a chance to see it yet. You both have. If this is the last we see of the Matrix, was it a satisfying ending to all the matrices? Yeah, in a manner of speaking, it was. I think, you know, they they kind of deal with um, the sort of replay act, uh, aspect of Neo having gone through that trial several times in his, in his past and in, in this case in the future. So they, they kind of like, I, th I think it's like, you know, it's like there's more than, there's more than one multiverse, you know, kind of deal. There's in this case, there's more than one timeline for Neo. So he could, it, it, I could, you know, there's no reason to say it couldn't come back at, in the future I, with Keanu Reeves. I would say probably not. Carry on, Moss. I would say probably not, but there's no reason why somebody couldn't take the idea and and do a Matrix the next generation in ten years, you know, mm. with starring um, uh, Cedric Diggory, you know, or something like that. <laughs> yeah, they'll just start changing the role around, like James Bond yeah. or uh, yeah. something else. Yeah, I mean, they they I think they they play around with the uh, with the rules in this one. They do a really good job of playing around with the with the sort of the rules and the timeline. It starts right off with the hey, this isn't supposed to be the way it's supposed to be and then it kind of goes from there. So it uh, you know, without giving too much away, it it does it is entertaining. If you're into the if you're into the first matrix, um it's good. I to be honest with you, and I'm a huge fan of the first matrix. So I'm not a big fan of the third matrix movie. Um I found it went a little too far, but uh yeah, I think I think you know it, it, as an interest as as the story goes, The Matrix 1.0 was really good, and this is sort of a a, a revisit to the 1.0 thing with a little bit of the second and third movie mixed in, but not much, you know. So 
And and I like Jaime's take on this too. Yeah, I, I think it works okay as an action movie. It works better as a sort of meta commentary on how Matrix Four even came to exist. Mm. So when you end up watching it, yeah. if you watch it with that eye, I think it will make sense more. As um, you know, I, I don't remember Lana's sister's name off the top of my head, but um, it feels like at least Lana's um, cathartic moment for this big part of uh, of their life. Yeah, and and I sort so of said they they kind of play with the idea at the beginning of the, of the movie, and that it could have all been in in um, Mr. Anderson's head, right? And and that could be you know because they never really do resolve that, right? But because um, it does have that sort of that sort of play, like you know how in um, well my favorite movie of all time uh, Brazil, right? How it has a a good ending and it has a real ending, mm. you know. Mm-hmm. And um, you, you're never really sure what did it really end, or or is the guy still sitting in the chair with a silly grin on his face, kind of thing, right? So, mm. Yeah, I mean, it does it does end, but you know, the the questions of whether you know the which is the real world, the Matrix or the real world, is kind of like it's that's open for debate. So, I mean, as as a sort of vehicle or or a sort of a um, uh, template for future movies or future stories. I could totally see it going in several different directions, right? Hmm. Uh, yeah. Lily, by the way, is uh, is the other Wachowski sister, Lily and Lana. Lily, thank you. Yep. All right. Well, I find it funny that I was I was flipping through Crave the other day. I, I turned out I have access to Crave, and I and I went to the women or the movies made by women. You know, and it's like women who acted, women who wrote the stories, women who directed. And of course, they put the Matrix movies in. That's a weird one because I, I think we they talked briefly, women when they made them. Like, yeah, we we talked briefly about what are they going to do with? Um, I'm so bad on this. I can't remember Ellen Page's. Is it Aaron? Oh. Elliot. 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 Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Like, what do you do there, and and how does something like an IMDb handle that? Um, yeah. It's not clear. I I can I can make arguments for both sides. Yeah, I had a similar issue. There's a, a, a book series, an independent book series that I really like uh, called Wet Moon and uh, graphic novels. And um, it was drawn by and drawn and written by Ross Campbell. Ross, after doing the series, uh, transitioned and is now Sophie. And so Sophie, uh, they've republished the books with accredited uh, to Sophie, not credited to Ross, and they put them in the in the um, you know uh, LGBTQ plus uh, you know two S plus section of bookstores, and it's kind of a strange one because Sophie was Ross when the books were created. So now, like, if, I think if Sophie's creating new work, that makes sense to me. But Sophie was presenting as a man at that point. I find it a little bit confusing to group it that way. I don't. I don't know that's inappropriate. I just found it a little bit um, of an, an unusual quandary that had never really come up before. Well, mm-hmm. and this is the thing is like we we talk about this a lot. I think we talked about this. I don't know if we put it in the air or not, but about the Spockies, like how we have a, a best woman, best man, and then mm-hmm. where do you put people like Del Bar- Del Bar- Blue Del Barrio, Del Barrio right? Yeah. Um, you know, and and uh, the thing about it is, though, as I'm I'm 
clearly, uh, I'm a, I don't know why you, you called it a cis male or a heterosexual male yep. myself, right? And I, so I don't know what it's like, but I mean, I do know from listening to people tell their stories that they may be a man when they're you know young and they're, and they're creating work or whatever, but they feel like they're a woman, even though they don't, they haven't become out or mm-hmm. and they may have realized it as a teenager, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then they decide, you know, when they're like older, okay, I'm just going to do that. Because being transitioning wasn't really a cool thing until recently, you know, it was kind of a, an edge thing. But And, and my, my issue as a feminist is that, um, you know, people who trans, it, like, like it, it's too convenient to put them in, to put, to try to give credit to a writing that was done by a male person who had all the benefits of being a male in society to now put them into the bucket with women who clearly have to struggle. I mean, like how many actors like DC Fontana couldn't even use a real name mm-hmm. when she was writing for Star Trek because mm-hmm. she couldn't be taken seriously, you know? Mm-hmm. So that whole sort of struggle that women have gone through to, to get recognition and get appreciation and all that kind of stuff yeah. throughout society. I mean, like you can go back like hundred years and look at artists. You can go back you know, 500 years and look at architects, you know, who were, you know, working as women in a man's world, right? So I, I just, I find it kind of, you know, convenient that that we can put these people into these new buckets and, and not think about, well, what about, it's, you know, it's like knocking down statues and saying there was no slavery, you know, there was. Yeah, it's, it's a slippery slope, though. And again, this is this is, I think, the the world where you know J.K. Rowling got herself into you know some issues with the way that she sort of describes the the struggles of women versus the struggles of trans women. It, it's a it's a very very touchy subject, you know. Like some people view that as you know separate issues. Some people view you know trans rights as women's rights, and and you know yeah, some people take it very very seriously that you know those are identical things and some feel very strongly that they aren't and yeah it's 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 very very tricky yeah so anyway i mean it's an it's an interesting debate especially in this you know we're we're talking about pop culture and pop culture media and stuff and well i mean i think i think you absolutely need like elliot page is an excellent actor and he could absolutely you know and and you know Put on a put on a performance that is worthy of an award and should be nominated as best actor, but you know I know that that you know there would certainly be some pockets of of society that would be like well that's you know how is that you know the right thing and blah 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 whatever their political views are on on gender politics and everything else it's you know. Well, even if you go back to Shakespeare and and look at the or even the Greek theater, right. I think in Shakespeare's time, women weren't actors either, right? I mean, they—they they generally it was it was men like who who dressed who got in drag and acted mm-hmm. and played out the the female parts, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, so there's been this whole sort of inequality you know, for <laughs> centuries, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, but we digress. Although, yeah, we digress. Well, it's it's an interesting point. I mean, you know, Jaime, Jaime started it. Who <laughs> 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 invited him anyway? <laughs> Always right, bringing so the heat. Jaime Lopez Jr. Yeah, off the top ropes. Yep, there we go. 
So uh, one more time with uh, Jonathan. Yep. So the last thing I've got in the headlines this week is that uh, there's a story from the good folks at the Wall Street Journal that Warner Brothers and Viacom CBS, who have a joint stake in uh, the CW, are contemplating selling it. This is particularly interesting because Warner Brothers is the house of DC Comics. And, of course, the CW is the house of DC Comics on television. Uh, there is, you know, has been and are continuing to be so many different shows. Arrow and Supergirl, obviously, have finished their runs, but there's still The Flash. We have the Black Lightning show that's gone, come and gone. Stargirl, um, you know, Naomi is premiering next week. There's a, a ton of different shows. Uh, of course, uh, yeah, Batwoman, Superman and Lois, Legends of Tomorrow. So... The question becomes, if they decide they're going to part with this thing, uh, what does that mean for its continued future of the DC, uh, the Arrowverse, if you will, uh, on television? Because whether or not they would continue to want to license those things there or they would migrate those things over to HBO Max and Paramount Plus, where they have more... Uh, you know, desire for unique content. So this will be an interesting one to watch to see if this is something that they're going to do and if they do what it means, because it could mean uh, a big shakeup in the status quo of DC Comics rights on television. Oh, so Viacom CBS is paramount? Or I'm, I'm confused. Yes. Yes. Viacom oh, okay. CBS owns CBS television and uh, the entire Star Trek library and Paramount Plus. Okay. Right. So yeah, this this could have a pretty big uh, impact on. It's been a decade. I mean, a decade so far since the Arrowverse started, of DC Comics properties performing, you know, reasonably well on the CW. It'd be a pretty big shakeup if they they didn't have those to fill their their lineups every week. Right. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. Well, because up here we don't get CW. We get something different, right? Yeah, we can get CW if you have a, an advanced cable package, but they tend to just split up the rights to different things. So some of it ends up on uh, CTV Sci-Fi. Some of it ends up on um, Netflix. There are different avenues for, for where you can get it. Netflix is the real pain in the buttocks because they insist upon putting it up two days after it premieres in the United States. So if they're doing a multi-parter event crossover, you're a little stuck okay well guess what folks it's that time of the show when we start looking into something star trek shaped or yeah star trek shaped this time it's we're back to prodigy welcome back to prodigy season one episode six and Jaime's going to do the recap on kobayashi no longer kobayashi maru by the way <laughs> yeah uh, it's, it's so weird coming back to prodigy which took a weird mid-season hiatus to go to discovery which was taking its own they had to drive 4,000 light years, so they needed to like a couple of months, right? <laughs> yeah, apparently. <laughs> and that's actually where we, we end up starting, right? Right off the end of the previous episode where they had used the Protostar's um, proto-drive to escape from the villain, uh, the Diviner. We end up on the tail end of that where they've been thrown, uh, or I guess I should say they've traveled 4,000 light years in a very short flight. Um and so the crew sort of got some time to to sort of deal with that, right? Um, Hollow Janeway says that they started in the Delta Quadrant and then sort of trails off without saying, where did they end up? Which direction did they go? How, how far is 4,000 light years? So 
I don't know if I missed something in the episode if they said specifically which quadrant they're in now. Um, she didn't. No, she didn't. Okay. Okay. Good. I, I wasn't wasn't bad at listening then so that's good uh so this gives the crew sort of several different things to do right so i'm see if i can keep track of all the different sort of threads in my head so uh i'll start with the easiest one and that is um rock talk and murph murph (laughs) the, (laughs) the the like slime alien one where he is like going around and doing stuff on the ship and swallows a whole bunch of grenades <laughs> apparently is is invulnerable or something because he didn't blow up he just sort of belched out uh um the, the contents of that so that makes rock talk think that murph is indestructible which i feel like was in here to set things up for the future in some way right like, or, or just the fact that 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 they think they can put something in Murph if they're in a crisis that will not kill him but might save them. Yeah, so I, I feel like this will will come up. You know, store this one in your your memory here that like th- this will be important because otherwise, you know, besides being a little of, of, of kitty fun, I'm like this feels like it had a, a purpose. hundred percent. Right? So that's a very short one, you know, fun light one, but longer term, I think that will have some ramifications. You've got. Um, Sort of the main part of this episode is dealing with um, what's his name, Dal. And, yep. you know, we've talked about his character, how he's um, not ready to be a captain because he doesn't display captainly qualities. And he's really only captain because he declared himself to be so. That comes to a head in this episode where, like, the entire crew is like, we need to go find the Federation. He's the only holdout that says, well, we kind of stole their ship. Isn't that a bad idea? And they're like, no. <laughs> come on man they're gonna be cool and he ends up making his way over with um Jenkin pog uh, who he boots out eventually into the holodeck and they're going through the kobayashi maru test which for a long time star trek fans is the um hopefully well-known no-win scenario thing of like there's the kobayashi maru it's in trouble oh no it's wandered its way into the neutral zone between the federation and the klingon empire so you, you're kind of screwed, right? Except uh, this goes off into some weird, um, you know, fan service where you can assemble like the mightiest crew you might possibly want. <laughs> so they have Spock, Uhura, they have Odo, uh, Doctor Crusher. Uh, did I miss somebody? Did I miss somebody? Scotty, Scotty, Scotty no, eventually. That's later. That's later. That yeah. is later. But yep, uh, Scotty um, and. Dal just keeps failing. What is it like ninety times or something like that? There's like a a, a Boimler level of retries. Except <laughs> rather than going for a perfect score, he was like just trying to pass uh, on this. And it's fun because they used the real voices, right? It looks like it was clipped from yeah, from various definitely. episodes. And well, stuff. except for one. One of them was a new voice. One of them. Which one was the new voice? Gates McFadden came back to reprise her role oh, okay, as yeah. Doctor Crusher because there were some parts that had to be specific, mm-hmm. and so yeah. yeah, so Gates McFadden came back and and did a recording session to do some original parts. The first time she's played that role in in twenty years. Oh, good. I, I didn't know that. I assumed that they had stitched it together from other things there too. So, yep. um, yeah, wow. the Spock thing was Spock had a lot of lines in this, and and it became obvious after a while that they were oh, just 100%, yeah. the movies. Yeah, yeah. But the yeah the I I was sort of 
sort of listening and trying to sort of figure out, oh, is this all, you know, cause, uh, obviously several of the people that they cast had uh, passed on, but I was wondering how they were going to, you know, have the interactions. But th- I think the reason why um, Dr. Crusher sits in the, in the you know, uh, number one's chair is because she actually is interacting more directly and has, you know, some actual things to say to him uh, specifically in those moments. Yeah. You tell Nichols didn't come back and do her aura? No. Didn't really say much. Okay. No. Yeah. So it's it's fun seeing the, the scenario. It's take place uh, to, you know, remix everything. It's on a Galaxy class. Uh, not clear if it's the Enterprise D, but it's certainly a Galaxy class bridge and everything. So um, it's fun there watching him sort of eventually realize that there, it's a no-win scenario, even as he does the, like, Pro gamer move at the end where oh that was great like okay total we're gonna, chaos we're gonna dump our warp core and then we're gonna shoot it <laughs> they go it comes they, back to our how easy it is it to eject a warp core scenario from lower decks right yeah yeah, yeah. Um, they uh, they he and Spock beam over and they start neck pinching and phasering the Klingons and <laughs> just when it seems like he's won he accidentally torpedoes the <laughs> the galaxy class ship and loses. So that one, that was a lot of fun. And it was, um, I think the, a nice way to introduce, again, remember this audience, you know, intended to be Nickelodeon age folks. So, mm-hmm. you know, there, there are, there are people new to the world who have not heard of Star Trek. So this is helping. Or holodecks. Them. And yeah, yeah. Yeah. So introducing the crew, which introduces the audience to holodecks and what that means it introduces, you know, um, iconic characters from past series at, even if they don't know exactly who they are you know kids latch on to the imagery and be like oh i know that person and they see them on paramount plus or something right so that was a lot of fun i enjoyed that and then the other sort of track that they have going on that has sort of interesting implications for the future is we get more uh interaction between um uh zero and uh gwyn i think her name is yeah going over you know trying to figure out what exactly was this ship the protostar's mission and hollow janeway is trying to to say what the mission is and then sort of glitches out and realizes that that information is classified um we see information about um the diviner who apparently 17 years in the past which people in the internet were confused about this and for me i'm like this is star trek i think i know what happened um, but 17 years in the past, uh, the Diviner was aware of the existence of a ship called the Protostar and had been looking for it for some time, ends up deciding to birth a daughter, which is Gwyn from like his own genetic material, like in a weird cloning yeah, kind yeah. of artificial process. And this has thrown people for a loop because the setting for Prodigy is five years after Voyager returned. So 2383 people were like, yo, if it was 17 years ago, that's actually like 12 years before Voyager was lost. How did, how, how can there be a hollow Janeway and, right, yeah. and all this stuff? I'm like, well, okay, this is Star Trek, you know, timey wimey is probably involved and it feels like it's really punctuated when we get to the end and I'll, I'll, I'll get there. But this part of the track seemed to be setting the stage for, okay, there's this weird mystery. Why does the protostar exist? Why is its mission classified? What exactly was the diviner looking for? And, and sort of filling out more of the, the stage for the, the, the future here. 
And that leads us to the sort of tail end where they retrieve enough of the information to see a distress recording um, from the sort of the final days of the protostar before it got lost, presumably, that says, you know, Mayday, Mayday, this is Captain Chakotay, you know, from the USS Protostar requesting assistance. So I think for me, this is in speculation and not recap mode. I'm like, it feels like obviously the Protostar comes from the future, mm, right? Oh, right. Yeah. It feels like it's long enough in the future where they've they've done the, um, you know, the, the Hall of Presidents sort of thing with, with Janeway and be like, here, hollow Janeway's treat people and explain why the protostar has such cool advanced technology that we haven't quite seen in any star trek stuff um and it feels like it helps fit that timeline of the the 17 years thing where i think we get information that that gwyn and her father the diviner like the last two people of their race it's like not a race we've seen before so i i'm kind of suspecting they come from some future time so wait why are you saying this this takes place just around the same time as Voyager, like the whole show? Um, I, I ended up looking that up just because I know we had talked about it at some point. Um, uh, you know, because we've been they doing do the Discovery. Date, being they, do, the... they give a star date when, when Diviner's deciding to have a have a child, right? Well, uh, the, the, going from the first episode, um, somewhere in there, or maybe in the premise that we've read somewhere, it, it takes place like a handful of years. And I want to say it's like five years after Voyager returned. So that gives us a, it's vaguely close to, to Star Trek Lower Decks time, right? Hmm. Okay. I think. Well, I, I mean, thought, I could I, be wrong. I, but... thought it was, I thought it was like way in the future, like like so far that they, they don't even know where things are, right? When you're there in the Delta Quadrant. I thought it was too, closer, right? but we might have to fact check that one. But um, if it's further away from, from Lower Decks, then the 17 years is totally, totally fine. Um, it can't be too far away, though, given that there is a Captain Chakotay. Now, granted, True. we yeah, don't yeah, see yeah. him in in full color. We can't see you know how old of a gentleman no, he is. No, it's an image. Yeah, it's a, it's a you know. But they they lived like a hundred fifty ish in that era, so it's it, it kind of gives us a time box as to where that would mm. be. Okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah. Any, and given anything, given the level of complexity that we're talking about here, do you not feel like this is going to fly like ninety miles over the average Nickelodeon kid's head? Yeah, that's a good question. Like I, I I didn't think this was a bad episode. I thought that the the Murph storyline and the the Dal storyline were very straightforward and you know exactly what we come to expect from Prodigy so far, which is fun little adventures that definitely educate a younger audience on the Star Trek universe. These are the, some of the big characters. These are some of the situations. This is how a holodeck works. This is what the Kobayashi Maru is. These are some famous characters. That all made sense to me. The larger overarching arc where they're trying to figure out, you know, the the what the protostar is and where it's from, that stuff felt like, uh, you know, quantum math. It, it felt like yeah. a, a much higher level thing. And and obviously they don't have to, you know, like they can just gobbledygook their way through it and that's fine. But I wonder if that is a potential alienation for for the uninitiated. Well, I'm going to use Jaime's math and say that I'm probably about 15 Nickelodeons older than <laughs> the scale. And I was confused by how come the password for the encryption was the same as like from her language. Well, and that I think speaks to the time issue, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I mean. Like, it, like obviously, 
it was in his possession or he parked it there or something like her her father the diviner yeah. must have had at some point yeah possession of this thing right yeah because no he's looking for it well too, and he, he knew which planet to look on for it too right like he knew it was there. He just didn't know like where. Like pirate treasure. He left it behind, maybe. Or yeah, so know? it's coming together. But, mm-hmm. I mean, to me, this this whole stuff that we're talking about as far as the timey-wimey stuff, that this makes it far more interesting to me. Although, uh, man, if Star Trek could avoid just doing time travel stories, wow. But it is definitely makes the story a little less um, juvenile, frankly. Right, yeah. I think, Jonathan, that's a good point you bring up. I... I'm looking back into media that I enjoyed as a kid and thinking about, you know, I enjoyed it in a much different way when I was smaller. And I'm going to pick on uh, Back to the Future and Ghostbusters, uh, both 80s movies, where when I think about what was I really interested in as a kid, what did I replay, you know, with my toys or stuff a lot? And it was that sort of action sequences, right? The Ghostbusters actively fighting a ghost. The um, the time machine, you know, trying to go back in time with the lightning bolt and stuff. So I think kids can glom on to things without sort of fully knowing or caring about the rest of the, the talky talk stuff and be totally fine enjoying. I think that might be happening here where I think about, again, Ghostbusters and Back to the Future. I'm like, oh, when I watch these as an adult, yeah, of course, obviously, I still enjoy the action, but I'm way more interested in the, like, weird interpersonal stuff between Marty McFly and his teenage parents. And for Ghostbusters, I'm like weirdly more interested in the, oh, um, turns out the economy was really rough in the United States in the 1980s. <laughs> and these guys were just like, you know, they're, they're just rat catchers, essentially, right? It happens to yeah, be ghosts, work, but yeah, it's, yeah. it's like really about uh, two, uh, sorry, several uh, uh, academic elites who are forced to do blue collar jobs. <laughs> which is not at all what I cared about or even thought about as a kid. Yeah. So I I think, and obviously we don't, I think any have anyone the right age to sort of ask for that, like, like little, little kids, but I'd be hopeful that the kids can still enjoy like Murph swallowing photon grenades and stuff. Yep. And going, yay. And buying their toys and playing. And then the adults are watching with them, enjoying this sort of like, Oh wait, there's like actually something deeper happening here. And maybe those kids, when they get older and rewatch this, be like, oh, dude, there was like a totally coherent storyline going through these episodes. And I was just like, yay, phasers. Oh, Jenkin Pog's eating weird stuff, you know. <laughs> well, do we want kids eating photon torpedoes or whatever he was eating? Like, <laughs> yeah, photon grenades. That something, yeah. That's something we want to promote. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Kids, if you're listening to this podcast... Don't eat photon grenades. Yeah, don't do that at home. (laughs) Ask your parents before you eat photon grenades. (laughs) And also, maybe just this is going to come from a Canadian perspective, but lock up your photon grenades. Don't leave them lying around for the space goo aliens to eat. That's Mm -hmm. bad parenting slash pet ownership. Can we have a quick sidebar? Yes, sure. So I was talking to Nicole at work today about um, I I I raised a question which I've raised many times before and, and the, you know the, the Marty McFly you re, you brought in Back to the Future so that's why this comes from so I blame you again um, but the whole quandary I had at the end of uh, episode two of Back to the Future Back to the Future two where they leave the girlfriend and Einstein on the oh the, yeah the the front porch right and. 
And then they go back at the end of the, the third movie and they retrieve her from the front porch and she's just been happily sleeping there while Marty and, and I'm going to call him Rick, but Marty and Doc Brown have gone and changed all the, the, the parameters and the universe has changed several times over, right? And Nicole pointed out, and I got to go back and watch this, that she was watching it the other day and, and they, like, Doc Brown has a Rick Sanchez moment, where Marty says, but why, why did you knock her out? What, what are you doing? And, and he's like, she knows too much. There's no way anybody knows that much about their future. Like, it's just going to be bad, you know, and that's why he knocks her out. Like, but literally almost like Rick Sanchez would do it, right? And that, I have to go back and watch the movie now, but that, or she said, that explains why, you know, why it works, that this whole parallel universe, you know, messing with the timeline kind of thing works, and that, that in fact, it is the same girlfriend in the end of the, the third movie. Are you guys convinced? No? Hmm. Trying to piece all this together. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, apparently, like, like you know, when Marty asks him, why did you knock her out? He he has a Rick Sanchez moment, explains that nobody can know that much about their future sort of thing. And that's why I did it. Anyway, end of sidebar. All right. I'm going to let that percolate for a bit. Yeah. All right. Are we done with Star Trek? Shall we move on to uh, Book of Boba Fett? Yeah, it's sure. Book of Boba Fett. Yeah, I, I definitely, I'm, I'm really curious to hear Jaime's thoughts. So last week we talked about uh, when we had our, our special guest, uh, my son Xavier, joined us for, uh, for a couple of weeks uh, while Jaime was recovering, and so, um, we, we talked about the first episode of Book of Boba Fett last week, and. Uh, my opinion was that it was not a killer premiere. I thought it was great. It's nice to be back in the Star Wars universe because we hadn't seen any Star Wars for for several months. Um, and, you know, it, certainly some cool moments, but it really was not a huge hook. So this week we continued our sort of two-track storytelling where one is set in the present, one is set in the past. The present is uh, Boba Fett is recovering from being attacked in the first uh, first episode. He goes into town to confront the mayor, who uh, turns out to be an Ectorian, uh, a hammerhead, if you will, and uh, goes in and sort of says, you know, hey, you know, you, you answer to me, don't mess with me, whatever. And there's sort of this, um, you know, uh, conflict between them. He steps outside and then uh, has this big showdown with two members of the Hutt family, and it's Jabba's niece and nephew uh, who are uh, <laughs> being held up on their litter and uh, have this sort of showdown of, you know, this is our town. No, wait, this is my town. I claimed it. No, wait, it's ours by right. And so they have this sort of showdown and Boba backs them down. Uh, but we get an amazing cameo uh, in this moment, too, where we got to see a character from the comic books uh, over the past few years, which uh, was was amazing. So the Wookiee that comes out with the big spike shoulder pads, yeah. the black mm -hmm. Wookiee, mm -hmm. that's Black Kersantan. And uh, he's a character that has been around for about six or seven years in the incontinuity comic book series and uh he is just a like a monster an absolute vicious uh you know bad wookie very bad wookie um so i'm dying to see them let this uh this character loose because it's been a really really cool one in the in the comics but um but first now brought over to uh um 
live action. And I'd like to thank the people at Disney slash uh, Star Wars for doing this because when they do stuff like this, my comic collection just becomes more and more valuable. So I appreciate that. <laughs> um, so anyways, they had this showdown. The, the, the huts back off and basically say, this is not over. So now we've got Boba head to head with the mayor who doesn't like him head to head with the huts who don't like him. And, uh, you know, we're sort of left with that. We go back into Boba's past and we see him with the, the Tuscan people, um, in what is pretty blatant Western homage where, you know, he's, he's taken in very dances with wolves. He's taken in by the indigenous people of Tatooine. They nurse him back to health. He's been accepted into the tribe. Uh, he, uh, uh, you know, has this, um, you know, uh, you know, drug trip thing where he, he, you know, gets to, um, well, first he helps them with the train robbery, right? So this this train that whips through their territory and, and kills them constantly, traveling through their territory uh, at high speed and, and picking them off, shooting these poor innocent Banthas that are just standing there. And um, so two of them went down in very sad fashion. They... Uh, he says, you know, I, I can fix this. So he goes into town, beats up a biker gang, steals all their bikes. They trains all, trains them how to use the bikes, uh, the swoops rather. And, um, and then they basically stage the great train robbery, which is another uh, Western homage. And they, you know, they do the train, they get on, they have this big fight scene. It's pretty well done. And then they uh, stop the train. They bring the survivors off the train and basically say, hey, this is, you know, Tuscan territory. If you're going to go through the Tuscan territory, you pay a tithe. If you don't pay the tithe, we're going to keep taking down your trains. And because he's done this, he's accepted into the tribe. They send him on this vision quest where they stick a lizard up his nose and he has this like hallucinatory trip where he goes out into the desert and finds a piece of wood. They then turn that wood into his very own gaffy stick. And um, then they robe him. And then we see him very much as we saw him when he debuted in The Mandalorian with his black robes, his gaffy stick and sort of, you know, uh, um, an honorary member of the of the of the tribe as it were and uh yeah so two sort of you know the two two-tier storyline thing is good although they're spending sort of a lot of like they're not going back and forth it's really sort of like one chunk and then another chunk yeah it's almost like why bother like yeah i almost wonder if you could have just told them like a whole episode of this and a whole episode I don't know, it's it's just an interesting i mean unusual storytelling method well because it, it was interesting about it for me is that i i ended up watching because of because of you know life and the universe and everything like that gets in the way sometimes i ended up watching the first part and then i got halfway through just about where they start attacking the train into the second part but where i had to stop for like half an hour and then go back to it and you know, what, so now as we're sitting down to, to sort of review it, I'm thinking to myself, I'd almost forgotten about the, the battle with the mayor and the, and the twins, right? Mm -hmm. Because because there was more meat in the in the uh, in the train robbery thing, the whole that whole development of you know teaching the, the Tuscans how to. I mean, there's a lot of comedy and like you know teaching them to ride those bikes or swoops, whatever you call them. Yep. Um, and you know, and the, the Banthas, by the way, when the Banthas get killed, it's so that the, the Tuscans have something to hide behind as they shoot, right? That's what the purpose of that is. Yeah, and it, again, it goes back to the old westerns of hide behind your horse, right? But it, it's just, yeah. it's mm -hmm. just so sad in both moments when they shoot the Banthas are sort of standing there and they yeah. just sort of drop like a sack full of carpets. It's just, it's, yeah. it's really so. sad. 
And it's and it's you know and and then then sort of establishes the idea that Boba Fett is not you know he's more interested in the profit than you know uh, or making examples of people like he doesn't just you know go all Negan on them and and uh, you know take them out he says he, he convinces the leader that you know you should walk back and and tell your bosses that you know if you want to run your train through here you're going to have to pay us and. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting why how it would have developed that you know, and of course you know the the guy says we always thought that the the Tuscans were just you know um, what does he say um, primitive or not you know not not civilized right uncivilized yeah it's the, again but, the um, old uh, interpretation of indigenous peoples right they're savages yeah so so the question is that I wonder why like what would have led them to the point where like when they drove their trains through they would just take pot shots and take out the Tuscans I mean like. I, I think they probably the Tus- the Tuscans probably shot at them too, saying like this oh, is our territory. Yeah, Why it, are you Tuscans flying through here and, with your your thing? You can't yeah. just do that. And yeah. so yeah, I'm sure there was probably instant acrimony. Mm-hmm. True. I mean, yeah, because mm-hmm. they do establish that in in the Phantom Menace, your favorite movie. I did think though there was one thing in here that I wanted to quickly raise before before I get more uh, of your of your thoughts. But one thing I thought they did a good job of in here because after the first episode. I saw some criticism on social and on Reddit of people saying, you know, it really does make Obi-Wan Kenobi look like an ass for (laughs) the fact that he lived on Tatooine for ostensibly 20 plus years and that he had an he had an acrimonious relationship with the Tuscans that lived with him, right? That he he had to scare them off by impersonating a crate dragon and that, you know, uh, you know, that they attacked the locals and everything else. And people were like, man, this this whole thing of like Boba coming in and like befriending them makes Obi-Wan's relationship with them look like really bad and outdated. But they did do a good little slip in line in this episode where they said, you know, some of the uh, like when the great, uh, you know, uh, the desert dried up and all our people were here, some of our groups, some of our tribes turned to violence. So I think what we're supposed to infer is that this particular group is not necessarily one of the more extremely violent groups of of uh, Tuscans, but there are some who have resorted to being more aggressive or more violent and that we're supposed to assume that the ones that live closest to Obi-Wan who smash Luke and smash C-3PO are supposed to be one of the more violent uh, groups. So... I think that's a bit of a nice, nice way to resolve that. It's nice. It's nice when Reddit gets its comeuppance in like a week, where where you know they're like, "Oh, you look at this bad treatment, Obi Wan Kenobi," and the next week they're like, "Oh, never mind." <laughs> yeah, yeah, I I feel like some of that fits into my impressions of the two different parts of the timeline that these episodes have swapped between, in that the the part in the present day modern era feels like a mafia movie right where for sure where boba fett has 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 taken over and he's fighting for turf with the other mobsters right and the 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 local government sort of has to deal with the the nonsense of the turf wars between um the the local government is a mobster too right yeah yeah so it all sort of fits in it feels very like if you took away the star wars aspects of it it would fit in in chicago right 1920s chicago is what it feels like and they've they've tied that to the hip to the stuff that takes place in the past with the tuscans that feels very uh dances with wolves totally yeah right and it, it that sort of fits in with the sort of like um 
the the Tuscan Raiders have like depending on how you're looking at them and who you're talking to it's like well uh speaking from you know America's very troubled history with our native americans like right wrong or indifferent probably the tribes you can name like the apache the comanche etc are the ones that showed up in a lot of hollywood films and stuff because those are the ones that fought the white man right so everybody knows their names but people don't know is like the anasazi or like other sort of lesser known ones who were just totally peaceful people who got wiped out by the white man right like the, the and I feel like that's kind of what they're doing here with Tuscan Raiders, which is interesting of like, oh, the ones that you saw that, that Obi-Wan Kenobi had a very bad view of, those apparently were the, the tribe that um, uh, were, were fighting people versus this tribe, which is kind of more, you know, trying to live life on its own sort of thing. So I think that was pr- pretty well done for uh, the, the sort of line they're trying to skate here. Yeah. The one thing that I felt after the first episode was that it was a little too slow a burn. And I also felt like they kind of rushed the escape from the Sarlacc thing. I really feel like that should have felt like more of an ordeal, although it certainly didn't look pleasant. I felt like it should have been more of an ordeal. I Mm -hmm. do feel like, I mean, this is only supposed to be a seven-episode series, but I do feel like it would have benefited from what we got from Hawkeye and what we've got from some of these previously, which is to do a debut of two episodes. I feel like I feel much more strongly invested after watching these two episodes than I did after watching the first one. I feel like that first one didn't hook well, but just a few more, again, the, the seeing the huts, getting a little bit more taste there, seeing a little bit more of the, you know, seeing, seeing the cameo from, from the, uh, the evil Wookiee and then going right back to a stronger connection with the, the Tuscans. I feel stronger about this series after the second episode. And I assume I will continue to after three, four, five, six, and seven. Uh, yeah, I feel like it was just a bit of a miss to not to not come in with two episodes because I think it would have been a, a stronger debut. Yeah, I think that's a good point. There's kind of an art to the way that they release these. I, I think this will play differently for folks who are binging this in the future and don't mm-hmm. have the the week gap, a uh, week long gap. Where I think you're quite right. Given that these are roughly half an hour episodes, if they had sort of smushed it together into an hour long premiere, you probably would feel differently about the premiere than than you did sitting here, um, you know, 2021 sort of time frame. So that's, uh, that's not, not a bad idea. Cause I think comparing it to what I remember for the Mandalorian's first episode, that one just sort of ends with a bang of like, Oh my God, what is this thing that has been revealed here? Right. We didn't have a, uh, you know, a baby Jabba sort of reveal here mm. to, to go with. We didn't have a, you know, a baby Chewbacca or something like, or just some other crazy thing. It was, it kind of, ended on a sort of normal note instead of a whoa cliffhanger note yeah and maybe that's something that the mandalorian benefited from uh even though it also had a only half hour first episode well and again it it, it ties back to the trick it's tricky to tell that sort of two ta- two tack storyline right like you're right they're doing the gangster movie they're doing the western but they really are keeping them kind of separate for now it, it's hard to do that and then continue to weave in the like the hook points like well, oh, where are we going next with this st- oh okay we're gonna take a break from that mm-hmm. one okay we're gonna come back to this one oh so yeah it was just it was hard to get too invested in either one of those tracks in such a short period of time again and, and just the scope and scale the first episode the big sort of 
uh, action scene was the 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 assassins coming to try and kill Boba Fett. That scene was um, it was good, but it wasn't like oh my god, this is the greatest spectacle I've ever seen. This one, you know, between the the con the show sort of street street side showdown with the huts, and then also the the huge train robbery. There was a lot sort of more uh, exciting action and a little bit more sort of. Uh, of a crescendo for this thing, right? Uh, you made a really good point, Jaime. The um, first episode was only 38 minutes, and the second one was 52. So I think that's pretty telling, too. I think that this one benefited from having a little more time, and and uh, I think when you put them together, you get a really nice hour and a half start to the to the series. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm feeling much more... I'm much happier after see, uh, seeing episode two than I was after seeing episode one. I wasn't trepidatious. They do a great job. This is all hands on deck. This is freaking, you know, it's it's Robert Rodriguez doing the directing. I mean, you know, we've got John Favreau. We've got Dave Filoni. Like, this is a murderer's row of incredibly talented people. Uh, you know, a great cast. It's going to be great. Like, I had no doubts. It just, I just was a little... Um, Little, little off put by the by the first episode. Just wasn't really quite grabby, but yeah, I thought this was was tremendous television, and I'm I'm excited for more now. Oh, good! And there's only five more episodes. And there's only five more episodes. Yeah, interesting. <laughs> All right. Um. So yeah, we we can jump into the Spockies, which we've been talking about for a couple of weeks now. I just gotta find where's the. Okay, all right. Yeah, we just want to give thanks out to our, uh, I'm going to call out, or maybe you can just rattle off the names as I go through them. Obviously, I voted first. I don't know who this one is. Okay, Mark Rubin obviously gave it. Mark R at smapslop.com voted. Yeah, I, I wrote um, down a list here. I'll, I'll, I'll read my. Okay. Uh, so, Sean, Kristen, Chris, Tim, LaVon, Logan, Daryl, Matt, Jamie, and more. Thank you. And more. And more. <laughs> and many people who put in their email addresses, but we didn't ask them for their actual names, and I don't know all your email addresses. And yeah, Xavier, so of course. Xavier and, and Tammy and, and, and Jonathan. Indira and, and yeah. Yeah. So we got we got pretty much everybody. So yes, good participation sure. this year. Thank you all for for uh, taking a few minutes and and playing along with us. Uh, yeah, it's it's always fun to see what people pick out. Yeah, so I'll just to start a commentary here, I've been watching the numbers grow over over time because I'm the only one that's been able to see the results as they were coming in live sort of thing, right? Um, and so we can talk about this this first movie or the, the first category is the best movie, sci-fi or fantasy. Mm-hmm. And look, we have a one, two, and a three. So you can see the numbers. I do. So what's number one, Jonathan? What's number one movie? All right, so... Uh, the best movie, sci-fi fantasy for 2021, goes to Dune. Denis Villeneuve's Dune with 40.9% of the vote. Uh, our runner-up is Spider-Man No Way Home with uh, a little more than 16%, and Ghostbusters Afterlife with 13.6%. Mm-hmm. Now, what else got? I what else, what else got a vote? I'm curious. Uh, well, we got uh, a couple of people for uh, Free, Guy. Free Guy. Free Guy got a couple we of votes. One for Resurrections. Matrix Resurrections got uh, got a little bit of love. Shang Chi got some got some love. And what's the last one there? Oh, Justice League. Zack Snyder's Justice League got a vote. Good for it. So yeah, I mean it's um, yeah. I mean I think I think I I went into this. I voted for Spider Man. I did give it some thought. It was really down to Spider Man and uh, and Dune for me. I think Dune is a better film, but I think Spider-Man's a better movie. And I know that's a weird distinction, Yeah. but I think what it came down to for me is 
it was the beginning of something versus the end of something. And I found Spider-Man to be more satisfying from beginning to end, whereas I found Dune left me wanting. As beautiful, I mean, it's a beautiful movie. It's really well done. It's well acted. It's well made. It's it's an excellent, excellent picture. But I just found, like, especially where they ended, it just wasn't as satisfying for me as when I thought about what am I going to go back and watch the most neck? Like, what will I watch more in the future? What will I, what will I want to go back to? If I had those two movies sitting in front of me right now and I could watch either one of them, what would I want to watch? And it's, it's Spider-Man for me. Really? Yeah. See, to me, I thought Ghostbusters was a really good movie. That's what I voted for. I, yeah, yeah. And I agree. I think that was another really strong contender. That was definitely, uh, I think, I think the one, two, three is absolutely where I would have gone. One, two, three. Yeah, perhaps. Yeah. How about you, Jaime? I voted on this one for Ghostbusters Afterlife. I have not seen... Well, you're right, then, obviously. I <laughs> I have not seen Spider-Man No Way Home, so I, I, I couldn't vote for that. And I, I gave Ghostbusters a nudge over Dune. Um, Dune is kind of weird because it's part one of two, so we'll, yeah. we'll see if they stick to landing. Um, uh, obviously, we talked about how beautiful of a movie that was, but, uh, you know, I'm definitely a big fan of ghostbusters so ghostbusters afterlife uh, rang true for me next up so i broke i broke out the we had a ton of tv shows so i broke out the star trek stuff into its own category i just listed all the ones and of course i didn't list all the ones clearly from what i just earlier said in the in the follow-up or fact check but uh number one drum roll please number one star trek show is star trek lower decks Woo-hoo. Yeah, that's what I voted for. That's what I voted for, too. <laughs> number two is Deep Space Nine. And number three... Oh, number three, we're tied for number three. TNG and Discovery. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Interesting. And we got one vote for the original Star Trek and two votes for, for Picard. Yeah, I would have liked to have... Um, I, I was thinking about this category afterwards. And I was thinking it would have been nice to be able to... Uh, categorize it by the stuff that's new was new last year right so if we just had discovery versus lower decks versus picard versus um um prodigy i wonder yeah how we would have i mean i think it probably would have played out the same way but i wonder if some of those votes that went for things that were more classic if those went to the new series how they would have ranked but i, I still think lower decks so yeah i think it would have been interesting to um to do that so maybe we'll think about that for next year so we can sort of capture the uh the one but yeah i think uh you know consensus is lower decks is uh is doing some great trek they really are and you know xavier made that point to me when we were talking about it the other day we we're talking about our ballots and he said i voted for lower decks and the reason i voted for lower decks is that even though i don't get all the trek references i know that they are probably doing the best trek right now and i said you're probably right like they really are staying very true to trek although prodigy seems to be because it's kind of the intro to Trek is doing a pretty good job of being very Trekky, but I would say that Lower Decks feels more true to the overall Trek universe than Discovery does right now, and Picard does. So we had five pages of like if you look at this as what ten eight eight characters or eight eight shows, so they like you know. Like it goes on for days in terms of how many TV shows we could have put possibly in here. Yeah, next year we'll we promise. I did get some feedback from people saying you need to whittle that list down. We'll do that next year. We'll we'll whittle the list yeah. down to our favorites first before we uh, do that. Oh, of course, if we do that, people are like, "But I wanted to vote for this thing." So yeah, it's, yeah, well, I we, did get some of that too. We we ran into the uh, best picture award problem for the Academy Awards. It was like, all right, look, when you only had five, there were at least one snub, sometimes two per year. But when they went to 10, it's like, man, 
you really playing Sonic the Hedgehog as, as top 10? All right, I guess because you had to fail the 10. <laughs> Sonic the Hedgehog, no, you're being facetious. <laughs> no, I'm being facetious, but it's like not that far from the truth when it comes to the top 10 for the best picture. I'm like, dude, that one clearly doesn't belong with these top five or seven, right? There's like yeah. the final two or three. And I, I could see people's point there, but we, there definitely weren't any snubs this year. So we'll, we'll take that feedback. There you go. All right. So we're up to the best TV show out of all those things. We had 23 votes and the number one show is Jonathan... Number one show is The Mandalorian. Mandalorian. Mandalorian was the winner for best show in the Spocky Awards. That's what I voted for. Yeah. And what, I can't remember I voted so long the ago. Expanse the Expanse was a surprising number two for, from my perspective. Well, it's interesting because they just came out with a new set, set of shows recently, right? So, yeah. Which I haven't watched yet. Yeah. What else What else we got votes on here? I'm, cur- I'm really curious to see we what We have a three-way here. tie between Lost in Space, The Boys... And WandaVision. WandaVision. WandaVision was leading for a long time, mm. I guess, before we had a lot of votes, right? So mm-hmm. WandaVision was was doing was holding its own for a while there early on. And so I think Mandalorian probably was in the lead the whole time. Mm. Sweet Tooth got two votes. Lower Decks got a vote. Lower Decks. Yeah. And Handmaid's Tale. Handmaid's Tale. Oh, and Legends of Tomorrow. No, something else. Is the, what's the one below the uh, 8.7% there? Oh. Oh, Loki. Loki. Yeah. Oh, I think I voted for Loki. I also voted for Loki. That's. I was wondering how that would would rank. I, I think yeah. it's a it's a really tough one too because a there was way more good TV than there was good movies last year, and I think recency bias is real in in some of these cases for sure. But I feel like uh, you know, in as I was reflecting, Loki in the moment to me just felt like beginning to end the best series last year but uh but i can't say i disagree with any of these choices mandalorian was great there was so many good sci-fi tv shows honestly when i when i put this list together i was i'm blown away by the wealth of of good shows so mm-hmm, mm-hmm. all right we have best new tv show we only have three pages of best new tv shows yep so and the drum roll goes to i think I, you can see it right off the you can just see by the color <laughs> yeah oh can you that was wrong. Yeah. So, in uh, because this was uh, this was a new series this year. So, One Division was the winner for best new TV show. Right. Yeah, that was my vote. Um, I, I've enjoyed all the Marvel shows. Um, I think because One Division was so weird and different and unique for mm-hmm. the first uh, what other eight episodes, like six or seven episodes. Um, that, that's why it got the nod for me. The the other ones were. Uh, a bit more straightforward. Granted, Loki has some madness too, but uh, maybe I'd feel differently if they came out in a different order or something. Like, WandaVision was like, whoa, what's going on here? That really sort of stuck out with me. Yeah. Yeah, and so in second place, we have a tie for Invincible, Xavier's Choice, and uh, Star Trek Picard. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, interesting. And then we have uh, the next the three tied for fourth and fifth and sixth place are Sweet Tooth, Star Wars Bad Batch, mm-hmm. and... Loki again. Yep. Was, was Loki new this year? Yeah, it was, was yeah. new this year. Yep. Yeah, cool. Yep. All right. And then we have the big controversial. We only have two categories for actor and actress. So. All right. Well, well, we'll do what we can here. So our winner for best actor. And we did combine TV and movies for these two categories, just uh, for anybody who hasn't had a chance to tune in. Winner for best actor, Tom Hiddleston for Loki. Uh, wow. I, I agree. I vote, That's who I voted for. I think he was incredibly captivating in that series he was 
uh, I mean, I knew from watching him all these years playing Loki, and I'd seen him in some other things that he was very talented. But man, he mm-hmm. was so incredibly captivating, both you know, evil and charming and likable, all these things simultaneously on that show. I thought he was he was amazing. And if you see him on talk shows, he totally is not Loki. No, like he doesn't. He's an absolute yeah, he's, charmer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Who was yeah. our runner-up? Oh, good runner-up, Anthony Starr for the boys. He plays Homelander, the villain in in the boys, and he would probably have been my second choice as well. He was amazing in season two. Like, what a yeah. an incredibly mm-hmm. captivating performance. And number three, Ryan Reynolds and Free Guy again. Good Canada's own. Good performance. It was uh, it was again really enjoyable movie. It wasn't high art, but damn, it was funny. Mm-hmm. And then the uh, third, we got Simulu and Mississauga's own Tom Simulu, Simulu. Tom Holland and Paul Paul Bettany for a Wonder Vision. Yeah. So yeah. And the last the last slice goes to Anthony. Mackie. One vote for Anthony Mackie. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I ended up voting for uh, Tom Hiddleston in this one. Yeah. Cool. All right. And then best actress. Best actress. All right. Elizabeth Olsen for One Division. Mm. That was my my vote as uh, as well. Cool. Number two, Haley Steinfeld for Hawkeye. Seems like a little recency bias in there. We have a tie for um, third place. Third place, Catherine Hahn for One Division for being Agatha all along. Oh, three way tie, three way tie. And Sophia DiMartino for Loki. And McKenna Grace for Ghostbusters. She was great. She was really great. Yeah, I, I struggled with this category because I thought, uh, I mean, there was just an embarrassment of incredible performances by women this year. Um, I thought Rebecca Ferguson was was absolutely worthy as well. Uh, she ended up getting a, a vote in here, too. But um, I voted for Sophia DiMartino. I think, again, she played such a very nuanced character in, uh, in the... Uh, the alternate Loki character from Loki that, uh, yeah, she, she really worked for me, but I completely, uh, struggled between her, Elizabeth Olsen and McKenna Grace. Those were the three that I really, uh, Interesting we didn't have Florence Pugh in our list here. Oh yeah, it's true. It's true. Yeah. She, 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 she might've gotten some juice off that, uh, Hawkeye series. I thought she was, she was really good in the Black Widow movie. I thought she was amazing yeah. in, the, in the Hawkeye show. Oh, she was hilarious in that. I thought she was great. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Oh, we have a two-way tie for most anticipated movie. Yeah, and this is the one I was actually, I think, most curious about. So uh, let's see. Let's see, what we've got our for our winners. So a two-way tie for most anticipated movie of 2022, uh, the Batman, the Robert Pattinson Batman, and Thor: Love and Thunder. Tie. Oh, you guys can thank me for the tie because it would have been the Batman had I not voted for Thor: Love and Thunder. <laughs> there you go. So you wasted your vote. And what do we have for those? There's the three-way tie for uh, third place. Second. Third place, okay. Spider- Spider-Man Spider Across Guy. the Spider-Verse Part 1. Fantastic Beasts, The Secret of Dumbledore. Secrets of Dumbledore. And Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. So, yeah. Uh, no love for Avatar 2. Uh, well, no. we got, we got, uh, we got Jurassic, Jurassic World. Jurassic World Dominion got a vote. Oh, wait. Oh. How did we get spider Hang on. What? We have some weird math just, going just on Just late-breaking news here. We, we actually have a three-way tie for first place. How did we get that? Across the Universe Part 1. Wow, I think Google's messed up. Oh, Google. All right. Then I then I would like to uh, restate for the record our, our three-way, three-way tie, tie for most anticipated movie of 2022. The Batman, Thor Love and Thunder, and Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse Part 1. 
How did that work? That's weird, eh? What's yeah, that little? A, what's the little red a, sliver under there too? Because that one is this guy. Uh, oh, that's said, Avatar. Yep, Somebody uh, did. Uh, we get a. We got a vote for Avatar. Yeah. Yeah. I, I personally, I cast my vote on the, the Spider Verse across the Spider Verse. I thought that first movie was incredible, probably the one of the best movies I've seen in the last decade, uh, hands down, one of the best animated movies I've ever seen, and uh, I cannot wait to go back into that universe. Cannot wait. So, if you have indoor plumbing and, and internet, the best streaming service to get would also be clearly. Disney Plus. Yes. So best, yeah, best streaming service for 2021. Disney Plus was a runaway winner in this category. Uh, almost yeah. 60% of the vote went to Disney Plus. So they had a banner year, folks. Yeah. And then Netflix, Netflix is number two. Yeah, that's like that's like refrigerated food, right? <laughs> HBO, then, Max HBO Max slash Crave. Crave. Ooh. And then the last vote went to Apple TV. One vote for Apple TV Plus. Yeah. Yeah, I voted for Disney Plus. Uh, as you mentioned, it's sixty yeah. percent of the vote. Uh, what you didn't mention is that Netflix at number two was around twenty-seven percent. So uh, yeah. the, a huge drop off from number one to number two, and then that much more of a drop off from number two to three and four. Yep. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. yeah, I think I think this is an accurate reflection of where we're at after twenty twenty one. Disney Plus has become essential. It really did dominate pop culture, especially in the the sci fi fantasy world. So then I just put a general question just to sort of get some numbers from people. And it's like, have you seen a movie this year was my question. And uh, so we have um, on a streaming service, we have 90% of the people who voted have seen something on a streaming service, obviously. Uh, in the theater, more than once, we had 11 people vote for that. So that's almost 50% of our voters, yeah. Yeah. And then um, we've got uh, rented something digitally, a good, good chunk there. Uh, and then borrowed or downloaded. <laughs> we don't care how. <laughs> <laughs> Fell off the back of a truck. <laughs> something, on, something on home premiere also is also at thirty four percent of the vote. Yeah, I mean we did that for Black Widow here. That's that's how we watched yeah. Black Widow. And then thirteen percent bought uh, digital. Some thirteen percent bought digitally, and five or twenty percent bought a disc. Hmm. Right. So yeah. And then some, some people on VPN. <laughs> One person is being bad. All right, and then streaming services you've used. This is the collect them all category to to, to help the Lopez calculus uh, math here. A hundred percent of the people watch Netflix. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. We yeah. joke it's like electricity, and it it yeah. sort of is, right? It's it's the default. It's funny though because yeah. Netflix is so ubiquitous, right? It's it's been there for a number of years, and so it's certainly something that over the course of time you have acquired. But I think it's really telling that that was 100%. So everybody who voted watched something on Netflix last year. But the fact that... Or, no, or, has, or has access to or it. Or has access yeah, to yeah. it. The other one, the second place one, uh, is a tie, a tie between Prime and Disney+. Plus, and those are almost 83% each. So most people got those. And uh, considering that Disney+, Plus is only two years old... That's again pretty well, and, pretty and interesting Prime, market. If you, and if you have Prime, like you normally you get Prime for free, free delivery, you get Prime Video for free. So mm -hmm. rolled in. So yeah, yeah. I'm not surprised for Prime Video being in a tie for number two there because, um, you know, after the electricity that is Netflix, you have the oh, well, I got to get stuff delivered, especially during a pandemic. So you got Prime, and so Prime Video sort of unfairly benefits from that. And so I think the huge story here that you pointed out is Disney Plus coming out of nowhere and providing 
so much value uh, hashtag not a sponsor so much value <laughs> that, that they're number two right even though they yep. don't have the years of like oh it's you know netflix and chill is entered the the lexicon like it's not like netflix it's not electricity it's not like prime video that it's kind of wrapped up into something else you have to go out of your way to get disney plus now well, you might be doing it for like the kiddos and then you hung around for for mandalorian or something but like very clearly people are choosing disney plus explicitly here in the modern era Mm -hmm. well also though i don't know about you but i've noticed a a few of the services that i use outside of television are also offering to give you six months of free disney as well right now so and then the apple tv came in fourth let's say um at uh 60 69% which basically meant like you know most people got apple tv got into apple tv plus because they got a phone or a mac or something right and they got given like we all most of us had a full year last year during the pandemic and then you know now i think now is it back to 3 months now when you buy something you know you get it for or you get it for a year when you buy a brand new device right they I might think. have dropped that to 3 months and i think we might have talked about that on mtjc actually a while ago where it was like, well, when they hardly had anything, a whole year was worth it. Now that they've got, you know, a couple of different seasons of stuff, it's like, look, man, if you can't figure it out in three months, it's not for you, right? Yeah. yeah. And then, um, so we have cable and uh, cable TV, like 56% of us still have cable. Um, the other one that's interesting is Crave and, and HBO Max, because those, I kind of clumped those together earlier, but, uh, and we, I guess we sort of have to do some, I don't know what, what the split is on our, our, um, population here but I, I know that 60 percent of the people who listen to this show are american so we can throw like more love towards the hbo number and say that more people have hbo percentage wise even though it looks like crave or crave and nhbo are v- relatively the same right so um yeah discovery plus we have two people voted for that two people will have espn and two people have uh peacock as well paramount plus some people have that and hulu as well right? yeah so paramount plus compared to crave i think tells a little something to the the audience voting here where uh, i don't know that there's a whole lot of reason to have paramount plus if you're in canada but you None. if you're listening to yeah. this show you obviously have paramount plus because that's the only way uh other than the fell off the truck way that's the only way you're getting your star trek right oh you're talking about the americans the 60 the 60 percent of the folks yeah mm-hmm mm. Maybe they just listen to the show because they love our voice. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> anyway, so I'll, I'll publish these in a bunch of tweets um, after I've published the show so we don't let the cat out of the bag. Yep. As it were. But yeah, I think this was uh, this was an interesting uh, look at where we're at in pop culture. I think, obviously, we you know stated where our perspectives are, but it's interesting to see sort of where the larger, uh, the larger collective goes. It's uh, interesting. And to the person who's Were looking forward surprises? to Avatar 2, I'm, I just don't even know what yeah. to say to you. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> were there any surprises other than Avatar 2? Um, no, I mean, again, I think it's some of it's just personal preference. Uh, you know, I, again, I, I don't disagree with any of the winners. I'm not like, oh, my God, how could you vote for that? You know, there there was I mean, I think the even just building this list, I looked at it and was just like, damn, there was a lot of really good performances, a lot of really good shows, a lot of really good experiences. I, I think, you know, yeah, it, it just said to me that. The quality, particularly on the television front, the quality is, has never been so high. Yep. Okay, cool. All right. And then uh, we'll move on to our watch lists and 
wrap up the show. So what do you got for us, Jonathan, first? Yeah, I've got a couple of things. So uh, got news this last week that we are going to get a book that I have been wanting for a very, very long time. So Alan Moore is one of my very favorite writers, as he is for many comic fans. He, of course, is uh, you know famous for things like Watchmen, V for Vendetta, um, From Hell. You know, lots of lots of different stories that have been made into very famous works. One of the first things that he did was a series back in England where he took an old British superhero character named Marvel Man and he took Marvel Man and sort of reimagined what his like would have been like if he was that sort of happy-go-lucky character in the 1960s what would his life be like in the 1980s and really took one of the first it was one of the first times anybody had ever really done that sort of um sort of twisted mirror look at the golden age of comic books. And it was mind-blowing in the moment that somebody was doing that. It was, it was basically being like, you know, what if what if, what if if Superman forgot that he was Superman and was just like living a normal life? And then after not remembering for 20 years, suddenly had his powers back and was like, oh, wait, I'm actually a super being again. And... So Marvel Man first appeared in uh, a, in a series in the UK. It was told in sort of uh, in serial format in little bibs and bobs. It was reprinted here in North America by a, a now defunct company called Eclipse that uh, published it for a number of issues. Uh, had some delays, all kinds of problems. Eventually, it went bankrupt, and not only did it go bankrupt, but the uh, the company's headquarters flooded, and all. A lot of the original work was destroyed. So it was kind of a cult book for a long time. Basically, what was out there was out there. You could only read it if you had the actual original comics for a number of years. And then later, the series went in through a series of legal battles because... Uh, Todd McFarlane, the very famous artist, Canadian artist, uh, he bought the the rights of everything that Eclipse had owned. And so he thought he owned the character. He started trying to find a way to work the character into his Spawn comic books. And then it turned out that, as a matter of fact, he didn't own Miracle Man because Alan Moore actually owned it. And he gave the rights to Neil Gaiman because Neil Gaiman actually did uh, a, a small story arc near the end of its publication. And so Neil Gaiman basically sued Todd McFarlane in a very famous case for comic fans and proved that he held the rights and then took those rights to Marvel Comics about a decade ago and said, okay, I want to tell the final chapter that I had always intended to tell of this story. And to do that, I will bring you the rights so that you can republish it. So Marvel has reprinted in in individual issues and then in small trade paperbacks or, or little hardcovers, the work that had been done on that series. But it's never been assembled as one big piece of work, particularly the Alan Moore stuff, all the stuff that had appeared in Britain, all these different little small pieces of the story. There's never really been one compendium to tell the story, and we're 
long story short, we're finally getting that. So the Miracle Man omnibus, and it's called Miracle Man because originally it wasn't owned by Marvel and they didn't want to call it Marvel Man here in North America because there was a rights issue. They were afraid Marvel was going to sue Eclipse, so they called it Marvel, Miracle Man. So they're publishing it as the Miracle Man Omnibus. It's coming in September. You can uh, pre-orders. I haven't seen yet. I will definitely be pre-ordering this one. It will collect the entire original run that Alan Moore wrote, and that first appeared in Warrior Magazine in the UK, and then some of the stuff that appeared here in Eclipse, and all of it in one place for the first time. It will not include any of the Neil Gaiman storylines because he only told sort of the first chunk of his story in the original issues, and he is intending to go back. The, the rumor is that this year he and Mark Buckingham, who is the artist that worked on it with him, are going to go back and actually do the final chapter of that story, and then hopefully we'll get an omnibus that collects all that as well. But all this to say... It is very, very highly anticipated to have all this work in one place, in one book that you can have on your shelf, that you can enjoy and read. It is an um, absolute masterpiece. It is a beautiful piece of storytelling. It has some of the most renowned artists, uh, you know, Alan Davis, Gary Leach, John Totleben. There's a whole series of, you know, it's a who's who of, of amazing artists from the time that worked on it. And uh, Alan Moore at, you know, uh, just bringing some really, really interesting ideas to the table. And I cannot wait to get my hands on this book. I'm so happy that they're finally doing it. Cool. And next? And next, uh, I just wanted to throw this one in. So um, my son, my youngest son and I sat down to watch a new series on Netflix this last week. Uh, it is called Inside Job. I don't know if you guys have ever seen this, but Inside Job is basically about the people who work for the U or work in, in the U.S. in Washington who run the organization that secretly runs the world. And okay. it's a it's a like a workplace comedy set in So it's a documentary, right? Yeah, yeah. It's a workplace comedy. Uh it's animated and it is um created by one of the writers from the Disney series Gravity Falls and is executive produced by Alex Hirsch who created Gravity Falls. Gravity Falls was an absolute masterpiece of a show. It's something that my son and I have watched a couple of times in its entirety. It's a kid's show, but it's a kid's show filled with like conspiracy theories and, you know, all these sort of, you know, mysteries of the occult and all these weird things. And it's particularly well-regarded because unlike a lot of sort of Disney shows and cartoons and stuff like that, they basically told a beginning to end story. It was two seasons, it was 40 episodes, and it was done. And people were like, oh, no, it's so great, you should do more. And he's like, no, I, I told my whole story, I'm done. And people were just flabbergasted because, again, that's not how a lot of these companies work. They just keep milking it until it's, you know, run out. Um, but this show really picks that baton up and runs with it from Gravity Falls. Gravity Falls was very uh, kid-friendly, uh, but it certainly played on a lot of layers. I enjoyed it as an adult very much. And this show takes it to the next level. So it's, again, it's all, it's all tied in with, you know, the Illuminati and the, the you know, all the conspiracies that people have about the U.S. government and who really runs things, all stuff. But it's 
hilariously funny and it is very adult it's you know there's drugs mm. there's swearing there's sex uh, all kinds of stuff not obviously graphically but it's it's done for humorous effect uh, it has an amazing voice cast lizzie kaplan is the star christian slater is one of the voices um it's just filled with great performers a lot of great stand-up comedians in there and uh yeah it's only 10 episodes it came out in, at the end of october on netflix uh, i had circled it as something i would get to and we were looking for something to watch the other day we watched the first couple episodes and we're like oh yeah we're watching this whole thing in a couple of days and it's hilarious i wholeheartedly recommend it made me laugh my ass off and would highly recommend uh anybody especially if you were a fan of gravity falls but if, even if you weren't it stands up on its own it's super funny great cast and yeah highly worth a watch cool yeah i don't think i even heard about that one coming out when it did I thought saw I saw it today come up as as was flipping through just for something to watch. Yeah, it's 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 super super funny. Like I was I was surprised. It's like it's extremely extremely like dark and funny humor. Um, but yeah, very 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 enjoyable. Hmm. And I, again, I don't know if either of you guys ever watched Gravity Falls. Gravity Falls is again definitely targeted more to a younger audience. But one of those shows, like we talked about with Lower Decks, we talked about with, uh, you know, even Prodigy, it really plays to different levels depending on who you are. I found it just as enjoyable and at times, like, surprisingly dark for it for a kid's program. Like, there's some stuff there where you're like, did they just kill a kid? Like, what's what's happening here? Like, <laughs> it, it goes some dark places and you're like, wow, this is surprisingly dark. Like, they have this a big uh, crossover event at the end where they bring all the storylines together and... And uh, yeah, it's like hell on earth, and there's like monsters, and it's it goes some pretty dark places. But um, but Inside Job does the same thing. But again, very much you know. At one point in the show, there just to give you an example, there's a, a great bit where they uh, go inside a sort of this James Bond, you know, uh, slash Doctor Evil kind of you know bad guy. They go inside his volcano lair, and not only did they like capture the guy and and sort of imprison him, but they re possess his lair and then they're trying to figure out how to turn it into an Air airbnb like it's just <laughs> you know it's it's that kind of stuff you know like yeah good stuff hmm. cool i mean what you got to binge now uh mine is and i i don't know we might have mentioned it before as a thing to to check out but now i'd say you can you can go binge the entire season one of wheel of time on uh on amazon video since we know most of you have it you have no excuse to not watch it if you're into uh, swords and sorcery kind of things. Yeah, I tried. I couldn't get into yeah, it. Yeah, did you watch yeah, the whole thing, Jaime? I did. And I, uh, I'm I'm not somebody who's seen the books, so I can't compare there. It uh, is is not Lord of the Rings, and it's not um, uh, Game of Thrones uh, early seasons. But uh, but that was pretty pretty good. I, I put it up there in sort of that tier where um, uh, Shadow and Bone is. That leans a little bit more uh, okay. young adult yeah. than it does uh, old adult. It's still, so pretty, pretty enjoyable. Yeah, I like the main, the main actress, um, Rosamund Pike. She's, I think, she's in some of Edgar Wright's stuff too, as well. Yeah, she's um, she's really good. I've seen her in a few different things. I thought she was really. Yeah, she's really in good. Gone Girl too. Oh, she's amazing in Gone Girl. Oh my god. Yeah. Yeah. Um, for me, I don't know. So I sent you guys a message the other day. I, I didn't even know this was coming out. We thought that Doctor Who was done for the year. Um, but there was a New Year's Eve episode that came out on the 1st of January, obviously, but, um, 
So I, I sent you guys a message. Did you get a chance to catch it or see it or at all? Did not. Gonna go with no. No, I I PBR'd it, but I have not had a chance to catch up with it. I uh, I am actually I didn't finish the last couple episodes of the regular regular season first, so I wanted to yeah. uh, to finish that up first. Well, it's interesting. Like they like they uh, the first episode that um, came out this year was on uh, on Halloween night, I think, right? Um, and it actually takes place. The story takes place on October thirty first. This one is this one takes place on New Year's Eve. It's called the Eve of the Daleks, and of course, no spoilers that the, the Daleks are. You know, if you've never seen Doctor Who, then you don't know who the Daleks is. But if you have seen Doctor Who, then of course you know who the Daleks are. So it's an interesting sort of timey wimey, um, self contained uh, episode uh, with. Um, Yaz and uh, the new guy and uh, the doctor, um, and a couple of cap- couple of characters that are just in there. So it's just the five actors. Obviously, a very sort of I, I guess a COVID friendly kind of production because it was very, you know, there was not, not large groups of people. Um, yeah, so it's a real interesting thing. I'm just gonna say timey wimey, some Daleks in there, um, and uh, yeah, I'm not gonna give it away at all but uh, you definitely check it out and at the end of it there was a teaser for the next episode which is also also listed on imdb with a with a preview image which means it is a legit in the can episode called legends of the sea devils and that they showed a teaser of that at the end of the eve of the daleks so there is another episode coming to a tv near you soon So, what do they mean by soon? Like, is that like coming? Well, I would, I would. Uh, it doesn't have a date. Doesn't have a, a release date. Let me just double check that again. Actually, already IMDb. Um, it doesn't show. Like, they just showed a preview. Uh, like a. And by the way, this is like this is of the new era of Doctor Who. Uh, this um, Legends of the Sea Monsters will be or Legends of the Sea Devils will be uh, the 200th or the 199th episode. I thought we already talked about that, though. Didn't we? Mm-hmm. You guys remember? Remember. Mm-hmm. I thought we already had the 200th episode, but anyway, they're, they're listing 200 here. Yeah, so it says episode number eight. It doesn't have a release date. Scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. It just says 2022 UK, so not sure when it's coming out. But it is it is ready to go. So hopefully this week. I don't know. Hmm. This Sunday. I'll have to check my PBR because I have it set to automatically record Doctor Who's when they come out. So not to go too uh, into the spoilerville, but this we, this is the crescendo building towards the end of uh, the current Doctor's time as the current Doctor, right? That's the theory. Yeah. yeah. Dan Lois is the character played by John Bishop. Dan, yeah. I didn't get his name right. Um. Yeah. I don't know. Oh. Yeah, I'm not going to say it, but there, there is there is a um, there is a we've talked about it on the show in the past. There's there's a, a thing that's left unsaid in in um, the doctor the current Doctor Who, and uh, it's kind of not left unsaid in the episode. But uh, the Doctor, being the dolt that she is, doesn't quite get it. Hmm. <laughs> the Doctor always sort of has a little a little bit of you know sort of that. Um, the Doctor's always got a sort of Asperger's kind of like not really... I mean, earlier Doctors seem to understand everything that was going on around them, but uh, the last couple of Doctors have had a few things where you're like, are you paying attention here, you know? <laughs> you know, yeah. Anyway, so that's it for another week. And so I guess, Jonathan, if people want to get in touch with you, where would they find you? You can always find me on Twitter and Instagram as at GPK News. All right, and Jaime, if people want to get a hold of you? I'm on Twitter as at Hair. 
Right, and my name is Tim Mitra, T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A, on the Twitter machine as well. You'll find me. Until next time, we'll see you in the future. Bye. 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 You've been listening to the SpotCast Podcast. This is John Luke Picard. Shut up, Wesley. Sorry, say again. Just the tag. Gotcha. If you want to find out more about the podcast or see the episode show notes, visit the SpotCast website at SpotCast.com. You can get in touch with us on the website or follow us on Twitter at SpotCast. If you have feedback or questions, send us a tweet with the hashtag AskSpotCast. If you like the show, please consider recommending us to a friend, writing a review on iTunes, or pledging any amount at Patreon.com slash SpotCast. You can find details on how to help us on our website, SpotCast.com slash Sponsor Us. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in the future. And that's it, bro. We're done. It's a wrap. Forever. What? Forever? What? 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 Uh, yeah. No, not so much. Actually, it's funny because one of our one of our um, podcast uh, people that we even sort of came up with they they started about six months before Born Just Code. They just did their final episode. Well, their final episode, final regular episode. Quitters. They didn't, they didn't quite. <laughs> they didn't quite put the the bow on it, but they just sort of said, "Yeah, they're they're taking a step back for a while." You saw that, eh, Jaime? Yeah, the release notes one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so interesting. Interesting. Okay, so the one thing we didn't get, uh, because Jaime was off for a couple weeks, is I'm curious to hear your thoughts on Hawkeye. We didn't get to follow up on the last couple episodes of Hawkeye. What did you think? Yeah, I I enjoyed it. Um, The finale is a little strange in that it doesn't have like a a huge crescendo moment. It kind of has three different sort of smaller moments of the you know, the mom getting taken out in prison, the kingpin getting shot at least, and um, Hawkeye winning with, with words against Yelena. Mm-hmm. Um, so it didn't have quite the tr- traditional ending. It certainly does feel like it's setting up for future stuff, you know, season two and, you know, other stuff that's going to happen in other shows or other movies. Yeah, I think that was when we talked about it over the last couple episodes. I think that's what we came to was... They really had done a, an interesting job of laying all all these paths towards the finale, but they almost had too much to do, and it really felt like they it was just overstuffed. Yeah, yeah, I, I could agree with that. But still, still pretty satisfying. I thought, you know, again, like very everybody came up. Like it's funny because R- Renner is kind of I think in a lot of people's minds the the weakest link of the Avengers franchise. As far as, you know, he doesn't get the most screen time. He's certainly not the most attractive of the bunch. Um, He doesn't necessarily get a lot of the attention. But even he came out as a winner on this series. I mean, I think the the, the real winner was uh, was Florence Pugh as as uh, as Yelena. She stole every scene she was in. Um, 
but you know again this series you know they, they introduced it was the backdoor pilot for the echo series that's coming we got yelena's carryover from black widow and to sort of continue building on her we got this new Haley steinfeld hawkeye character which she was great i thought really enjoyable and then we kind of get this this sort of bow on the on the the hawkeye original hawkeye character uh, the question i asked last week for xavier and for tim and uh, and i'd like to know what you think jaime do you think this is the sort of bow on that hawkeye if you pardon the pun uh that we're not going to get more of him going forward that this is sort of passing the torch Ooh, that's a good question it it certainly seems to leave itself open to that but he was you know too old for this stuff uh, from the movies and yet they they brought him back out again so um i don't know i kind of wonder where where he'll end up with things yeah, I wonder if he'll um, be like you know the guy, uh, the guy behind the guy. You know the yeah. She'll be out. Uh, you know uh, the, the the Kate Bishop character will be the one out in the field doing the stuff, and he'll be there on the on the computer or something. Not necessarily in the field. I mean, I think thought they did a good job of sort of the, the one thing that kind of went under the radar a little bit is just the. Um, the fact that they introduced his hearing impairment. So in the comic books, Hawkeye has been hearing impaired for 25 plus years, 30, well, more than that, 40, 30, 35 years. Um, and I love that they were like, you know, wow, how did this happen? And then they show the whole sequence of scenes from the different movies where things explode next to his head. And you're like, oh, yeah, that makes perfect sense that, of course, you've gone, uh, you know, lost your hearing because of all this stuff you've gone through. But I did mm-hmm. think that between that and just the wear and tear that he shows over the course of this of this adventure he goes on with Kate, the you know, the bruises, the ice packs, the, you know, the bandages and stuff, they did a good job of just sort of without having to beat you over the head with it explaining to you that like even the best of them have to take it you know have to reach the end of the road at some point like if he keeps going out there he is gonna die yeah yeah um you know the the person behind the person is interesting because it brings to mind uh batman beyond where bruce wayne lets um man i can't remember the younger batman's name um oh uh yeah uh oh god terry Yes, Terry. Let's Terry be the Batman in the suit, and Bruce Wayne is the person behind yeah. the scenes. Yeah, yeah, that, that that could be where they go with it. Um, did did we ever talk about on this show the the idea that if your name is Kate or Katie, that you you like bow and arrows? Because <laughs> we, <laughs> we have uh, Kate in this show in Hawkeye with the bow and arrow, and we also have Katie in Shang Chi, yeah. doing the bow and arrow. And Katniss in, uh, in Hunger Games. Yeah, Katniss, Katniss, yeah. Katniss yeah. yeah. Yeah, it works. It works. Keeps it going. Yeah. Yeah, again, I think... Um, I, I honestly, if... if I don't know if it was their intention always to continue or to... It just was because of the crackling chemistry between Florence Pugh and, and um, uh, Haley Steinfeld. But if they aren't thinking of finding some way to team those two up in another show, they are insane because they were so much fun together. Yeah, that, that yeah. last episode—that was the highlight of the last episode by far—was the the fight scene and the elevator and the, the running down the side of the building and oh, that was so funny. Uh, and even the scene in the episode before that with the macaroni and cheese and just—they are—they were just so so good together. Their their chemistry was so strong, and, and I think it comes down to them both being really talented actors. But they, uh, yeah, man, I, I want to see the two of them on a team up adventure a hundred percent. And they have to bring the dog. 
<laughs> right. Pizza dog. Yeah. Yeah. Lucky the pizza dog. Pizza dog. Yeah. Yeah, it'd be interesting. So we know, like, obviously right now we're in Book of Boba Fett. We don't have a next. They haven't said what the next thing from Disney Plus is. Obviously, we've got another five weeks of Book of Boba. So sometime probably in the next two, three weeks, they'll announce sort of what the next thing is. But Disney Plus can be counted on so far to not give us really much more than a week or so of downtime between... Mm -hmm their marquee things i wonder what we'll see next will it be another star wars property will it be a, a marvel property what's mm. going to be the next thing that's going to come through disney plus interesting that's a, a, the other category i should put in there is most anticipated tv show cool. yeah okay all right all right we'll talk next week guys talk to you later okay bye. Right. Bye. Bye. bye as humans we're naturally driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed when i was looking to hire someone it was so slow and overwhelming i wish i had used indeed if you need to hire you need indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast ditch the busy work use indeed for scheduling screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster and indeed doesn't just help you hire faster 93 percent of employers agree indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent indeed survey and listeners of this show will get a 75 dollars sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com podcast that's indeed.com podcast terms and conditions apply